long time and we took a longer break than we thought we were going to but as you guys know life's been super busy super crazy for the both of us but we'd like to give you guys a massive thank you for just bearing with us you know asking us all these questions replying to our stories and really just staying in touch with us and just being super patient with us but the wait is over we're almost approaching the end of our season so here we are back for the last couple of episodes uh, and on today's episode, we will be analysing soci society's idea of a South Asian woman with a very special guest, Sai. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for that. Hi, everyone. I'm Sai Sashadri. I'm 23 and I'm currently based out of the United States, but I've grown up between the US, India and Canada. I work as a technical project manager by day, and I am a writer and social media addict by night. Um, I'm also the editor-in-chief for a small platform called Women's Republic. Nice. Thank you for that, Sai. So, Mahek, do you want to dive right into what we'll be discussing today? Yes, no, definitely. And also just before I kind of get on to today's episode, uh, Sai is amazing. So you should definitely follow her on socials. Like I kind of like randomly just shot my, like shot my shot and DM'd her and I was like, I just want you on the platform because everything you say I'm agreeing with. And I'm like, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and it's really refreshing opinions. That I feel like we don't really discuss in our community enough. Um, so super exciting. So I'm really excited to have you on this episode. So on today's episode, we'll be talking about society's idea of South Asian women. Now, in more detail, we'll be discussing it from two main perspectives. Number one, from the perspective of our own communities and sort of the experiences that we have within them, both negative and positive. And we'll also be looking at it from the perspective of the West and assessing some of the stereotypes that are imposed on us and also looking into some of the intentions behind them, which will get very interesting. So hold up for that. But let's get started. So. Let's start off with the ideas and perceptions from our own communities. And I'll pose this question to you guys starting off. What do you think is our communities, I mean like the wider South Asian communities, idea of the ideal South Asian desi woman? Um, so I think, you know, for me in, I, I, again, you know, every one of the cultures that we come from is different, just like you mentioned earlier, but like holistically, I think there's always been this idea that when it comes to women, we should be kind of, you know, uh, quote unquote traditional. We should be kind of quiet and meek. We should be the type that like, yes, you know, we might be educated, we might have work and all of that. But at the end of the day, we put family and children and a husband to be our priorities over anything else. And that is something that, you know, it has been going on for so long now. Like we've seen that for decades and even centuries, but is it really like, I, I don't think that's the way it should be. Yeah, no, I kind of agree. I think there's a lot of ideas around what an ideal brown girl or South Asian woman should be like. And it starts off from, from when we're very young to how we're supposed to behave, the things we're supposed to say, the things we're not supposed to say, how we're supposed to dress. And it can come across quite oppressive almost, or almost like we have to live our lives for someone else. Um, yeah. And that's something that doesn't sit very well with me <laughs> because I've always been the sort that I've just rebelled against society's norms or I'm like, I don't care what people think. I'll do what I want. Like, if this makes me happy, so be it. Like, I don't care, you know? Yeah, I'd agree. And I think I definitely resonate with a lot of the things that you've said. And it's definitely main key 
characteristics being really submissive doing things for other people being like I guess like unwillingly like just I mean willingly altruistic in every way shape or form and it gets really tiring because I feel like to a certain extent it's definitely deep rooted in this idea of femininity as well and then you have to stick in this specific box and I think over time like as we've seen particularly in the west like I'm not going to say it's entirely for the rest of the world but we are sort of moving towards new attitudes and new ideas and you know being open and like loud but I feel like even there there's limitations as well so it's sort of like yeah you know you're well spoken until I'm unhappy with the things that you're saying do you know what I mean and like notice that like even within circles like when I'm speaking to uncles or even aunties and I'm like I disagree with this point because I feel like it impacts me in this way and they're like what do you know and it's like they'll facilitate that conversation I'll be allowed to sit there and have that conversation but there's limitations and uh, it's this whole idea of like we can't think for ourselves and so forth (laughs) speak up or you're just seen as disrespectful if you don't really follow what you think like oh you're young what do you really know about life like I've lived here you know that we get the typical like oh I've lived here longer than you like what do you know are you gonna tell me how how things are done and I'm like actually things are a little bit more different now yeah but like what's also funny about that is yes when, when you speak back to them or you like make a point that's different from theirs they say that they're like what do you know you're too young but at the same time they expect you to act so grown up from such a young age in so many other ways like you need to be mature you need to understand what modesty is you need to learn to cook and clean like all of that so it's like it's a double standard 100 percent. yeah we're so undermined from such young age and i think like it does lead a lot of us to grow up faster than we're used to as well i think a lot of the times we're robbed of our youth a lot of us are and that's whether or not like you have a supportive household or not it's sort of like you literally hit the age of like 13 14 and you're expected to just know how to do everything and I think that's really toxic for someone that's as young as like we were at that time and I feel like it's something that you don't really escape in any household whether extremely liberal or not Mm. I just think there's different expectations especially for like any I know, Mahek, you have, so I don't know about you, but if you've grown up with brothers or very close to any, like, cousin brothers, like, you can see such a massive difference between the things that are engraved into you growing up and the sort of expectations that are put in place. And from a young age, I really rebelled that a lot. Like, for example, when I was growing up, the closest cousins my age were boys so me hanging out with them and stuff they were like you know I'd get teased of you know you're such a tomboy like, it's just by my aunts like I know it was just like funny taunts and stuff but even then like it made me quite insecure to go hang out with my cousins because I'd be like oh they're going to perceive me as a tomboy or girls shouldn't be watching wrestling or girls shouldn't be doing this like you should probably sit here with the adults and do this that and the other and I'm like then it made me really insecure as a kid to just go play with my cousins you know so it's just like little things that are sort of engraved into you and it makes you very hesitant to kind of be like actually am I supposed to be doing this or I'm just the kid I'm supposed to have fun but I'm kind of guessing it now yeah I think it's sad that there's I feel like to a certain extent there's definitely probably a lot of us that maybe didn't have the ability to kind of rebel and it's like how it would be interesting to see like how those personalities may have manifested differently if we didn't have those cultural restraints um but we did ask a lot of people um from on our Instagram um, questions point what they thought about this question as well so I thought it'd be interesting for us to kind of go through that Um, and I think a lot of the sentiments are echoed just a second sorry my little cat's bell is um, yeah he's gone (laughs) Um, he's just jingling away Um, okay cool 
So some of the interesting ones are sacrifices anything for family, wifey material, has to be able to cook clean impeccably, um, not voicing opinions too much, especially if they're controversial, not too loud, have modesty and higher. Um, in a nutshell, a submissive girl is the ideal girl. Body image, that's another thing that came up. So that's all from yeah, one body person. Image came up also, a lot for sure, because they were yeah. like idolizing a girl as being quite slim and not having to be put on in, put on too much weight and things like that. I think that's definitely something a lot of people I've seen come up. Yeah, maybe we can start off on that point as well. I think I think in terms of body image and aesthetics whether a lot of the time with colorism as well it definitely impacts women to a much 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 greater extent it definitely impacts men as well don't take get me wrong there but i think aesthetics have been a big factor for south asian women that have ingrained in things like using lightning creams and having things like eating disorders so it might be interesting to kind of go into that and the experiences that people have had there as well and if there are any comments on that i think one thing that I've noticed a lot which is interesting to me is like how this idea of like modesty on its own is terrible but also how it's so harmful in terms of what ends up happening to your body image in the long run like I can say like you know like from when you're a young age like the minute you're kind of like hitting your teens and like puberty age like they start telling you like you need to cover up to be modest and then like as you get older like if you end up like being a little bit on the heavier side like if you have kind of a bigger chest they'll like make you cover up even more because they'll like blame it on you that you have bigger breasts so like you should yeah. be like watching out like how much of your skin is showing like and I think it's just like it's so harmful in that sense because like it may end up making you feel like oh like I'm not good enough or I don't look good enough because of the way my body is shaped like I think that just like ends up being double the amount of like dangerous and it hits it like it leads to so many South Asian women feeling like either A, they're not good enough, and B, um, they can dress however they want or be whoever they want. And like, I feel it too, like in the, in some, in the terms of like, I'm very like, uh, like after I went to college, like after I moved out, like I became very open about the way I wanted to dress and like the way I want to look and all of that. But at the same time, I still have those moments of doubt where I'll like try something on and be like, oh, like this isn't supposed to be how I'm like dressed or this isn't like how I should look because like if like an auntie saw me right now, she'd be like, oh, like those shorts are too big for your thighs or like something like that. Hmm. No, I know what you mean. I think in terms of like clothing, I've definitely been one that has had a lot of freedom with it but equally I think whenever I do go shopping I'm like oh is this family friendly or you know yeah. can I wear this around this person or do I need to wear a scarf on top of this dress if I do end up wearing it on like a family holiday or like a family event and I think that's not something we should be conscious about because it's just not like if people stare so what like you, they should be taught not to stare or to make a comment as opposed to it being turned around and making a girl just seem like unmodest or almost like she's got like a provocative nature. Mm -hmm. yeah, 100% and I think it's re really interesting because Sai you mentioned the whole point about how we have double standards as well based, based on your body type and I used to remember like I have a cousin me and her had different body types in the sense that I was a, like a lot smaller I was a lot more petite and she wasn't as petite and we would be wearing you know like when your parents would put you in the same clothes all of yeah. that right and she would be told to like you know wear your tapata over or wear your scarf over your chest but I wouldn't have to do that um mm. and it was just it wasn't fair because it's sort of like at the end of the day we have the same bodies but even then you shouldn't be policing us mm -hmm. in any way 
platform it shouldn't be that one person is sexualized and the other person isn't that's double standards it's unfair and i think it's really horrible because i've internalized it as well to the point where like sometimes i'll be wearing something and mm -hmm. like too much of my collarbones will be showing and i'm like Ali. And then it's like, oh my God, like, what's someone going to say? Like, you internally feel uncomfortable because of the way that, to a certain extent, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of this. Like, this is who I want. This is what I want to wear, right? It's just, it doesn't even have to be a point of like, you know, some massive political statement. It's just like, I like looking like this. I like dressing like this. Mm. But it's just unfair that you'd have to double double look and you're like, mm, actually, I, I actually feel very uncomfortable with this right now based on what's been ingrained in me and how maybe people will perceive me yeah yeah and I'm really glad you brought up the dupatta thing because like that's something that like I started being told to like the minute I like hit puberty and all that and now I get to the point where I'm kind of like if a dupatta looks good with an outfit I'll wear it but I'm not going to just because someone like insists on it because like th this is what I always like uh, somehow have the guts to say back these days I'm just like wearing a dupatta doesn't mean people aren't like automatically just gonna forget that there's something underneath there like you know dude this is our body it exists like yeah. like put, putting a piece of clothing over it isn't going to change that yeah i've actually seen like a like a string of tiktoks of these being made where girls will kind of reenact themselves being at a dawah with their mom or something and it shows them reenacting like their mom's like you know your mom will just give you that signal like oh <laughs> do this do this the bra strap yeah <laughs> so i've seen a list of those so i know like it's just nice that a lot of people are now speaking up no it's not even like speaking up but just kind of reenacting these things we've always probably gone through at like a dad going to an auntie's house or during a wedding season and things like that um so yeah i think like other characteristics that some other people said i was thinking um about how girls have to almost come across as like quote unquote obedient um and not to be like too outspoken and things like that because then it's like oh you have too many opinions this girl doesn't respect you etc i think that yeah i guess like being loud is not rewarded in our community at all and i've experienced that firsthand um i have been notoriously labeled as someone that is very someone to be weary of um someone that i've seen parts where it's kind of like my aunts will be like yeah don't don't listen to you know like to their daughters they're like okay you can't necessarily agree with all of this and i'm like all i said was stop being misogynistic and it's like it all hell breaks loose and it's really difficult and i think like one thing that comes at the core of this conversation is that more than you know the idea that we have to be submissive it's just damn right the idea that our opinions are not respected and i think that that's from men and a patriarchal society but equally there's a lot of internalized misogyny from women up the ranks and they've sort of kind of really internalized the fact that their voices weren't respected therefore no woman's right like voices were respected either and it's a toxic cycle because it's so hard to help people unlearn that and it's really difficult when it's being pushed forward by women in your community as well because at the end of the day like i don't think it's necessarily their fault but it it doesn't it doesn't help the situation do you know what i mean i think it's especially hardest when it's like the women who are your age like the young ones who like you know like you you know them for a long time like you get along with them and all of that and then one day something comes out where like you realize this person has so much internalized misogyny in them like they don't think that like as a woman they don't think other women are good enough or like should be like independent like it's really sad exactly or there's that sort of engraved mentality in the elder generation where they're like well 
by your age, I, I did X, Y, Z. By your age, I had this amount of kids and I was done with my life. And it's just almost like, if I could do it, why couldn't you, you know? They just kind of think you're stuck in that day and age where, you know, career and education and all of that should be just put aside for you to do things that they probably did in their time when it was right for them. And of course, what they did was amazing and they, you know, had kids and they had different opportunities opportunities to us but it's not necessarily something we have to do just because they did it at their age exactly yeah one of the really interesting points that were raised by someone else and it will be an, a, a really interesting thing to discuss is someone wrote unassuming aka prepubescent sense of people and that was interesting because i'm like i think to a certain extent people do within our community and i think men a lot of the time as well they kind of they kind of expect us to be really innocent and pure on the outside and innocence and purity in their mindset means kind of, I guess like aloof or, you know, kind of like, yeah, all I know is housework. All I know is this, all I know is that. You like, live in like a bubble almost. Yeah. We're not allowed to delve into things like academics, into things like money. Um, yeah. Or if we do, it's, and we can, there are definitely spaces where we can have these conversations, but it's never taken as, I guess, like, as seriously as it would be for a guy pursuing that sort of career for example and I think even in like South you know when you're speaking to South Asian guys in our own communities like I've seen it I've seen the sort of like unintentional or maybe even intentional kind of just belittling your points like oh what do you know do you know what I mean yeah they're like oh and even if it's those little jokes like, oh you're a woman what do you know like you your thoughts belong in the kitchen like as much as it is a bit of banter here and there it's not it's like very very internal misogyny and it's almost back to your point in the heck of what you said of how some of our career prospects or things are not taken that seriously for example like if you spend your 20s focusing on your career you might build the most amazing career by your late 20s there'll be some auntie being like yeah she's got a good career and she's earning hundreds and thousands of pounds but she's not married she doesn't have a prospect she doesn't cover yeah. up she's not modest she's very loud and all of that will be completely mm -hmm. put aside and that just it's almost like guys can do it, but girls can't. Like, that's not what they're supposed exactly. to do. Also, I think, interesting that you bring up that point as well, because I think a lot of the times when women do have these big careers, when it comes to, let's say, for example, children, or when things get older and there's more responsibilities within the house, it's the woman's career that's seen as the disposable first. And it's yeah. like, okay, cool. I'm pretty sure she can get up to look after the kids um, straight away. And I think that's really unfair. And it's sort of like, you build, like, I'm, I'm sorry. There's so many women that build up their careers. They're like, I know so many lawyers, um, right. South Asian lawyers. Up, and that is not easy because it's like, you have to gain so much experience. Like lawyers age like fine wine, shall we say. And the more experience you have, the better you are. But then imagine being like, yeah, cool. You've got kids. Now you stay at home and look after them. Um, and I'm going to go do my thing. And it's like, you know, that whole concept of going into work um, and kind of like men staying at home for paternity, that made sense back in the day when these structures were like mainly men going into work. But now that it's very different, like they do have the opportunity to look after children and really balance life like essentially a lifestyle at home but still women sort of I guess like contributions to the house are seen as more disposable in the sense that you can get rid of the things that you like doing yeah I mean even in this day and age there's still like uh you know like on matrimony websites and stuff there'll be people who'll be like my son is a doctor we're looking for a daughter-in-law who is also a doctor but she should be willing to stop practicing when she has a child like <laughs> 
Wow. You did not just study on med school. <laughs> if someone told me that, I would literally throw them away and be like, I'm good. No one's worth throwing my whole career away for. You know, well, that's not that's not how we're taught to think, though, right? Like going back to what you guys were just saying earlier is like we're taught to settle because it's like, oh, if I don't say yes to this person, what if it takes me five years to find someone else? And by that time, I'll be 30 and like no one will want me or I won't be able to have a kid. Like we're always made to feel like we're running almost like we're on like this time clock or like mm-hmm. this fertility, like time clock that as soon as you hit 25, exactly. like you're expired, you're done and you're old news and no one's, you're just a bag of bones and no one's going to marry you after this. Exactly. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. So go, go side. Oh, no, 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 no. Go for it. No, all I was just going to say was that there's also this element of, I think the idea of having kids is also imposed on people as well. Like at the end of the day, a lot of us don't want to have kids. And I think that needs to be more normalized within the community as well. But that's all, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> No, like, all I was going to add is, like, even as much as, like, I've grown up in, like, North America for most of my life, as much as I'm independent and all that, like, I can still feel myself, like, having to catch myself sometimes because I have that same thought of, like, oh, no, I'm getting older, like, what now? And then I have to, like, backtrack and be, like, wait, like, like, there's no, like, clock here. There's no time limit. But, like, yeah, like, that's what we were taught. And it's it's not easy to unlearn. I think a lot of a lot of the things that get washed away in, let's say, for example, maybe the conversations that we have as South Asian women in the West and kind of like the privilege that we have, it's kind of like come to that point with kind of almost mirroring like radical white feminism where it's like, just change. It's easy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And our communities don't facilitate it because yeah. I feel like there are certain parts of, you know, a lot of us have these opinions where we want to kind of fight against these attitudes that are being put on, like put towards us. But when you're actually in the situation and it's you against a community that has so many things it needs to unlearn, it's not easy at all. Yeah. Oh my God. Let me talk to say one more thing as well. I think also other things, I know this is going to sound really minuscule, but it makes a difference because it actually affected me. But like being someone that had like really brightly dyed hair or having loads of piercings, things like that, because oh. I have like, I have like five hair and like two hair and like, oh. yeah. <laughs> And, like, I used to have, like, bleach blonde hair or, like, it was almost, like, white. Obviously, Sai, your hair is red right now. <laughs> I know you get that. So, it's it was almost one of those things, like, oh, my God, like, what are people going to think? Like, you look like such a rebel or you look like one of those girls off the streets or it got to a point oh, where, like, when my, when my hair was really bleach blonde, my parents, my, my hair was bleach blonde for, like, 10 years, but it got to a point where my parents were like, okay, you're getting to the age where, like, people are going to look to marry you. Like, you don't want to look like you're just one of those like road girls like maybe change your hair color up a little bit and look mm-hmm. a bit older look your age like you're not young forever you know and all these like negative associations with simple things as piercings and dyeing your hair I think that's a way of expressing myself in fashion statements yeah. not because I'm doing it so I can look more marriageable <laughs> or to look like my parents raised me right I, I have I have a very similar story too actually um well to two actually um when, when I got my first tattoo, it's like, it's on my arm. So it's like very visible. I was asked like, what are you going to do if your future husband doesn't like it? And I was like, well, I'm getting it for me, not for him, right? I don't even know who this person is. Why am I making exactly. my decision off of a person who might not even exist? But the more absurd one was when I was in India a few years ago and like I'd gone to a dentist out there and he was talking about like how it would be a good idea for me to like get Invisalign for my teeth to like straighten them up a little bit. And he was like, you should consider doing it soon so that, you know, 
but like your teeth will be straight before you start looking for matches to get married. Oh, <laughs> shut like, up. What? My guy's really trying to like push forward the marketing, you know? Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I was the that I don't need straight teeth. I'm good. <laughs> oh my God. We need some regulations there. <laughs> Ridiculous. No, but I feel you guys. I mean, I got tattoos and let's just say loads of people were like, which basically means like no it doesn't look nice like and i'm like i didn't i don't really care like i like it or do you want and it's so funny because like i got urdu on my on my arm and when i showed my grandma she looked at me first and she was like mm, i don't really like that and then she was like mm, i actually really like this and i was like just admit you like it like just admit that it's okay to go against what people have like ingrained in us and i think one of the things that it definitely like highlights is that i think a woman's sense of self is kind of robbed um and the ability to be distinct and kind of do the things you really like. I think a lot of the times we're expected to be the same thing almost. Like it's like, okay, cool. Like literally copy and paste. And it's like, no, we want some variation. We want some differences because we, I think generally like because South Asian women come from so many different places and we are unbelievably intelligent. Like I've met some of the most amazing women and it's just really sad that they don't feel like they can express the side of them in their community. So I think kind of moving on with the discussion um, towards kind of like really implicating the men in our communities as well because I feel like we've spoken about our own experiences and kind of like the expectations imposed on us and I think we're very much all visibly aware of that but I think we should definitely be talking about how as a community things that we want men to hold accountability for and how maybe we can facilitate like facilitate an environment where women actually feel particularly South Asian women feel more comfortable where they are. Now we posed one question, which was, um, and the response was definitely how we expected. Do you think <laughs> girls are raised differently in the family? 94% of people said yes, uh, which was roughly 74 people altogether. Um, definitely something we can all unanimously agree on. Um, and I think that a lot of the times those upbringings are so deeply toxic that they can directly impact us on so many levels like men are babied men are essentially taught from a very young age that women are disposable for them in every regard whether that's kind of obviously it doesn't have to be as always be sinister but i think most of the time it is um so whether that's kind of someone to facilitate your daily life by doing all your things that you need for you um and any other needs and desires it's just it's it's really it's a really hard thing to come to terms with and i don't think i've seen it entirely gone in the men that we're surrounded by even in the younger generation um so it'd be interesting to kind of hear your thoughts on that and then we can also delve into some more things about this as well yeah i mean i'm not surprised at all either that you got 94 percent people voting that i think it like it really all stems back down to like when South Asian parents like have a child like it's already ingrained in their head like oh if I have a daughter she's going to mature faster with boys like you know like you'll hear from like that young age oh yeah my son is a little more difficult than my daughter like she does everything on her own easily all of that and like that just ends up growing into like babying that son no matter what age it's at and like it turns into this whole, like, into a lack of accountability. I think it's like, yes, like, okay, when your kid is like two years old, like, and they're being a little difficult, it's a little bit different versus when they're 25 and they're not owning up to their actions when they're going and harassing someone and you say, well, he's a boy, like, that's just how they are. Like, maybe that girl should have like, uh, you know, done something better. Maybe she shouldn't have, she shouldn't have worn that or maybe she shouldn't have been alone at night. Like, I think it's like, it's a very, very dangerous path. 
Yeah, I feel very triggered, right? I feel like my fight or flight mode has like come in because how many Asian boys do we know that have been babied to this day where they're like 24, 25, like, you know, friends our age where they don't, they've just been so guarded from everything because they're just so used to having everything done for them. And I think from a young age when people do have sons in their family, their idea is, you know, this son is going to carry my legacy, it's going to carry my name, you know, my daughter's going to change her name, she's going to get married off into someone else, but with a son, I'm like, I know for sure there are different expectations, and it is a different kind of burden, but equally, it's, they kind of get away with it easy with a lot of things, you know, not being able to do things around the house, not being accountable, if you get into a fight with your brother, like, you know, you're in the wrong, you shouldn't have done this, you know, and it, it's just very frustrating and seeing that how men become very possessive and very controlling over girls and I know at least one Asian girl has a story about a guy who tried to control what she was wearing or who she could talk to or you can't have guy friends and things like that and I think from a young age when that is put into you guys end up just becoming this super control freak but equally you can't do anything. Mm. I think it's a, ma yeah, I think that, like, what I'm about to say is a mass generalization. And of course, like, you know, there are going to be exceptions to the rule. But even like guys, even when you're dating brown guys, right? Um, back in the day, there's something or another that will be like, no, this is definitely filtered in. Like, I know so many guys that still think, who are liberal in every other regard, but are still like, yeah, my girl can't wear this. My girl can't wear that. Uh, don't be like this. Don't be like that. And it's like, mm, okay, what is your justification? It's just like, this is what I'm used to. Or, you know, this is just how the thing, the way things are. And I feel like a lot of the times, like, I don't want to, you know, take it away from girls in general, um, because there are definitely some girls that hold up and women hold up cultural ideas. But I definitely see a lot more of the, let's say, for example, the negative parts of our culture being kind of championed on by men as opposed to women, because they ultimately do benefit them, um, yeah. which is really unfair. Yeah, I think there's a lot less accountability on a guy's end, and it's more like the women are victim blamed almost. Like, how many stories have we had? where something will happen, a girl's attacked, and it's just like, oh, she shouldn't have been wearing this, she shouldn't have been out this late, and it's almost like, well, the guy shouldn't have done this late, and, you know, we've seen posts over social media, especially over the last couple of weeks, you know, educate your son, not protect your daughter, kind of, those kind of slogans, and it's very true, I think we saw it a couple of years ago with, you know, what happened in, was it in Delhi? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that was a the Nirbaya case, yeah. That was a massive case and there was a documentary on it called India's Daughter and it broke my heart because till this day people are still like oh well it's the girl's fault she was out at 9 p.m that wasn't late she was with someone she was wearing jeans at, and it's not even something we should consider it's not it's the girl's fault why do guys always have to sexualize women you know yeah and it is almost something that they are deprived of you know not being able to know what a woman's body looks like or things like that and but that doesn't mean we're victims and we shouldn't feel safe going out and about and kind of all like I know there are days where I know for example if I'm going out late or if I'm going to be by myself somewhere like at a point I'll be a bit more careful like oh should I be wearing this at this time of night when I know I'm going to be alone even if it's for like five ten minutes like getting on the train or something because I know something's going to happen and I think it's just really sad that we have to kind of consider those things as opposed to I want to wear this because I'm going to be good not I shouldn't wear this because I'm not going to be safe out and about wearing this yeah I think it's like it's 
in a, in a tragic way, it's funny to see guys' reactions when we tell them how many things, like, go on in our head when we go out. Like, I've had to, like, explain to, like, guy friends, like, yeah, the reason why I have my location shared with so many people is because I don't know what's going to happen to me when I'm out alone. Or the reason why, like, I, I've had times, like, sitting in Ubers alone where I've, like, had to text a guy friend and be like, hey, like, can you call me and stay on the phone with me the whole time? Or, like, mm -hmm. have had to make up a fake boyfriend to, like, get out of, like, someone harassing me. Like, things like that. It's like, they don't like for them it sounds absurd but they don't realize how much of our lives have like been ingrained with that just because like we don't feel safe yeah and I think you know what it gets to a point and I think you raise a very interesting point where it gets to a point where we kind of get numb to these things you know like you know for example like getting groped on a on a night out you know someone touching up is so normal I'm like oh yeah it just happens so often that it, I'm just numb to it or it just phases me and interestingly enough I had a conversation with someone recently where I had this thing happen to me when I was in the car um and my doors were locked I was just sitting in traffic and about four guys came up to my car trying to open the door um and I obviously I freaked out I like zoomed off um and I said it to one of my guy friends and his response was like oh I don't understand what you did to provoke that um and I think he didn't say it in a way to kind of be like oh it's your fault but he said it in a way because in a way that guys don't know the sort of everyday things that happens to girls and I'm like actually something similar happened to Mehek something similar happened to my sisters it's actually happened to a lot of my friends when guys see a girl alone in a car they'll do something or whether it's some, a situation like that and when I kind of opened up like here is xyz amount of people that's happened to you know this is what happens to me on nights out this that and he was kind of like oh my god like I'm so sorry I didn't mean it in that way but as guys they're so like closed off to just yeah. the amount of things that happen to their friends and then they get like oh shit it's actually really bad for you guys out there yeah and that's why it's so frustrating when like you'll try to like Obviously, your friend, like, learned about it and, like, you know, was apologetic about what he said. But, like, when you have the guys who are like, well, I don't do that. It's not all men. Okay, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's not your next door neighbor. But there's enough guys out there that we have all of these stories. So, like, don't try to invalidate it by saying not all men. Yeah, I think, you know, um, based on social media and also some conversations, unfortunately, that I had um, tangibly on the phone with people that I know, there was this kind of not all men attitude being pushed forward a lot by people from our community. I don't think it was just our communities, definitely people from all mm -hmm. backgrounds. Um, and there were kind of two themes that I noticed in that, that point being raised forward. Number one, it was this idea that, you know, like, you know, as a community, we respect women. We, you know, our women are really modest. And I'm like, actually that doesn't again like it, it conflates the idea of modesty and the idea that if you're modest you shouldn't be attacked and I'm like mm, okay well that's really messed up because it doesn't matter what the person is wearing it doesn't matter what the person is doing it doesn't matter it, like literally there is no justification for the things that people do to women and it's sort of like championing this idea that our women are kind of exempt from that when in reality we face a lot of assault and a lot of things that are just unspoken about and we don't have the means to discuss it but equally what's annoying about the not all men concept yeah cool you know I don't know what you want to gain from saying this to me i.e that I should be applauding you for not being a rapist or not applauding you for not assaulting someone but equally you might not be doing those extremes but bear in mind that pushing forward misogyny exists on a spectrum you could be sitting in a conversation with your friends and facilitating conversations like this so for example jokes about rape jokes about sexualizing women jokes about 
xyz and that does make you part of the problem like i have been in group i don't want to sound like that girl because i'm definitely not that girl but i do have a lot of male friends and i've been in kind of circles where they've got comfortable saying things that maybe they wouldn't necessarily say to a girl freely mm. and it's made me feel nothing but uncomfortable and I've had to like really get rid of a couple of friends because I'm like wow like you you raised your guard down and now I see the kind of banter that you guys have and it makes me feel so uncomfortable and, and they, I don't they are they justify it by being like oh boys will be yeah. boys like, it's just a boys yeah. it's a lads thing and it's like no it's not it's 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 horrible and yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that a lot. It's just like guys have a select part of banter that that really, really reinforces this sort of stuff. And I don't know if you guys saw this thing on Twitter recently. It was like about a girl from UCL and she was like talking about something that happened to her in one of the societies. And there was like yes, this group I saw chat. That. Where, yeah, and there was this group chat where the guy was like, oh, you know, um, oh, I want to drug her up. Essentially something along oh. that line. And the other guy was like, yo, dude, we don't do that. But even then it's like, that wasn't, like that wasn't enough it was just like brushing off brushing off as if like you know you don't we don't we dislike this it just it just felt like it wasn't being pushed forward how maybe we would hope and that's why i think like yeah cool it's productive it's not productive to say not all men in any way shape or form because a lot of us are pushing forward things in different ways yeah i think from what you said earlier as well in terms of us being able to discuss it um i think we all kind of maybe saw this on twitter recently as well where particularly girls within our community and our society, it's actually quite difficult for us to talk about these experiences mm. with people in our family members because it's almost like we're made to feel uncomfortable to say that mm. this has happened to us. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I know I've, any situation I've been in, I probably wouldn't discuss at home because yeah. it's almost like, why were you even in that situation to begin with? Yeah, and it's weird because it doesn't really coincide with the attitude that men in our community have i.e to be even though they shouldn't have to be like the idea of being our protectors and looking after the women and it's like well actually like i can't even facilitate a conversation about something that's happened to me um and instead any if anything the sort of consequences of it are placed on me so a lot of the times they'll do things like you know restrict your freedom restrict your curfew and it's like that isn't the correct response the correct response would be to kind of ensure my own like both psychological and physical safety in ways that make me feel comfortable as opposed to making me feel worse and yeah. I've seen that with a lot of people like there's been a lot of like there was like a lot of issues where someone I know told her parents about an incident and I kid you not she was not allowed out of the house for like two years yeah and like you know what you were just saying about like how they're supposed to be our protectors but we can't even go to them I think like it's a really sad cycle in terms of like we kind of realize that at least those of us who like have the privilege to kind of like be independent and stuff, we realize that we have to be independent because we can only rely on ourselves. Like there's no one else we can talk to. We have to support ourselves. We have to protect ourselves. But then like we grow up like that. And then we get to that point where like, A, we can't talk to anyone about what we're experiencing, but then we become so independent that we're also now too independent, like going back to that whole like typical Daisy woman thing. So like we just, we can never win. That's so interesting. I was actually talking to my therapist about that the other day. And I was like, the level of self-sufficiency, particularly mental self-sufficiency that brown girls have to force themselves into is so toxic because it is genuinely really hard, hard to ask for help when you need it because the response is maybe not always the one that you, you want or you will get, you know? So I definitely resonate with that a lot. I think another really interesting conversation that I'm going to start that again because I keep saying interesting. Another, another point, sorry, 
another point that I think would be great to raise and kind of something we touched on based on the kind of direction of this episode was we've tackled a lot of the things and really had a discussion about attitudes towards us inwardly but I think it'd be interesting to discuss attitudes of the west towards us as well um and how specific stereotypes about south asian women i personally find very very toxic or very misleading um and i'm gonna pose the question because i think there's so much to go into here um you know not a fan of (laughs) white like like radical white feminism for some for some reasons but i'm gonna pose the question to you guys um and i just want you to respond with either fact or fiction so the statement south asian women are oppressed fact or fiction 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 interesting interesting so i would say fact but for different reasons and there's a lot more to the statement than i think like it's just not as easy to kind of simplify that but interestingly we did pose that question to our followers as well and 59 voted sorry not 59 72% voted for fact 28% 28% voted for fiction. So it'd be interesting to see what you guys oh. like justifying your answers and what do you how you think about that. Because you said fact. Yeah, I said, I've always said that. I think I have a lot to talk about. I'll let you guys start and then I'll go off on a tangent. I think for me, um, it's just the way it's worded is that I think South Asian women, many, many of us end up in oppressive systems and cycles but we as ourselves are not oppressed like we are given terrible circumstances but like if that were to change we would not be oppressed like we know very much like how to support ourselves and how to sustain ourselves so I think it's really like yes like a part of that is true the only reason why I said fiction is because of the way it was worded (laughs) yeah I think um it's a bit (laughs) a techie one because yeah like Sai said there are a lot of like oppressive things stated and reinforced in us but I think we're moving to towards girls kind of taking their standpoint on things and us kind of I don't know I kind of related it to myself I don't think I'm oppressed but obviously I can't speak for the wider society so I just kind of think from a personal point of view I think that's fiction because I would personally say I'm not oppressed and equally, I am seeing a lot more movement towards women speaking up and having platforms and raising awareness on certain topics that we probably haven't spoken about or things we all kind of go through. So I'm kind of moving, I think it's moving towards a fictional standpoint. Mac, why would yeah. you say it's fact? So I agree with, yeah, so I think the main point that comes down to it, and I think this is the thing that a lot of people put forward, right? And they're like, oh, South Asian women are oppressed without recognizing the fact that that statement is very difficult to decipher and there's so many layers to it, which is exactly why you raised your point, Sai. And I agree with you. I think that all in all, when we look at structures, and obviously this question really differs for women, South Asian women that live in the West and South Asian Mm -hmm. women that live back home. So it's really important for us to recognize that, yes, in some regards, we are oppressed with regards to oppressive measures that we find ourselves in. So even culturally, I think back home legislation is there are loads of legislation that doesn't 
really help us. Um, a lot of attitudes that are very, very normalized there that aren't as normalized here. But equally here, we do face oppression in the sense that number one, we face impression, oppression from cultural attitudes that have permeated from there to here and we haven't really shaken them off. But equally, oppression based on being women of color in the West as well um, and kind of the institutional racist sort of um, attitudes that are faced towards us. But equally, I completely agree with Sai in the sense that I think the way that people present this argument and the intentions do vary greatly for when South Asian people are making the statement compared to white people that are making the statement. Um, and I'd agree. I think this, the sort of circumstances we found ourselves in are oppressive, but are we genetically innately oppressive? Of course not. And I think that the narrative has been pushed forward by white people so deeply with the wrong intentions that it's almost painted us that way in a way to undermine us. And it's like so much, we'll put in so much effort to kind of like challenge the structures we're in, but that will be glossed over with the whole idea of like, yeah, South Asian women are very, are very inferior, very incapable, we're the best. And it's just something that has never, ever sat right with me so when people say it to me i'm always judging the intention behind it but ultimately i think if we're looking at it practically and oppression is a is an, is an ambiguous word so it can stem from really deep oppression to you know things that are not as high on the spectrum yeah but i think for the wider part there is a lot of things that we we face that unfortunately we have to Thank yeah, absolutely. The way you worded it made my answer sound like crap. I was like, wow, I <laughs> wish I thought of this now. No, not at all. It makes me want to like be like 50-50 now because I think you raised yeah. points and you kind of articulated it a lot better. Yeah, I, I think it's a very tough one to like, <laughs> if you just heard that one sentence and you had to say factor eviction, yeah. it's very tough because like even in terms of like all like even if all three of us were like placed in our home countries back right now, yeah. like the city we're in, the family we come from, culture, caste, religion, like all of those things will like differ and like like how oppressed we are would like be based off of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think, you know, if I went back home, I wouldn't be able to leave my house by myself. I can't just go on a drive by myself if I wanted to. Can't go out with my friends just like that. And I think... Of course, I think if we were thrown back in that situation, it'd be very different. And, you know, us being here and then back home, I think there's a massive, massive difference of oppression. But I think we face it on different levels. Yeah. Like, yeah. I still do think that we're subjected to a lot of things here. And also, like, I don't think... Also, sorry, like, I don't think your opinion was wrong at all. I just think that it's kind of... It's, it's, the whole point is that the context I've heard this statement in has definitely been more so the way that you guys have heard it as well um and it's the idea that a lot of the times it was just used to undermine you and i think like it definitely manifests really horribly in like the western society as well because i feel like every decision i make is ridiculed by someone usually white women so for example you know i'm getting married at the age of 23 right and i always like whenever i tell my colleagues that the first thing in their head is like oh my god is it arranged is it forced is it this and is it that and i'm like hold on a second, like, where is this all stemming from? And it is this idea that we're just, like, incapable of kind of dealing with ourselves and that, that we know nothing beyond, like, the constraints of the patriarchy. But equally, like, I feel like a lot of people ignore the fact that when white people make this statement, it's twofold, right? Number one, it kind of ignores the fact that, actually, three things. It ignores the fact that this is universal. Like, white women deal with it as well um, yeah. in different ways. And number two, I think that, a lot of the things that annoy me is often when white people kind of like get rid of, 
they kind of like forget the part where they're complicit in is in it as well so for example how i mentioned the whole idea of like institutional racism that we face um but equally people often forget that the reason I'm cautious about it as well is that this was historically used to justify imperialism and colonization. And it was like, we have to sweep yeah. in and save them. And it's like, no, you ruined us. You ruined you, you just fucked the, <laughs> the savior complex. Exactly. Yeah, That's exactly, exactly what I was thinking of. You know, Mahek, if anything, I've experienced that on an opposite spectrum, like at work, you know, me say, oh yeah, like I'm graduated and X, Y, Z. And then they'll be like, oh, so does that mean your parents are now bringing you arranged marriages? And I'm like, no, like my parents actually encouraged me to go get a second degree and to carry on working for a bit. And it's, it's almost like either way, there's no winning. Like whether we say we get married and whether we say we're not, they just kind of assume, <laughs> you know, you're what your parents yeah. want you to get married. It's like, no, like, well, where do you think I live right now? Like, maybe I'm a person with, like, autonomy and free choice. And, like, is that so hard for you to comprehend? (laughs) It's so weird. So weird. Okay, Sai, next thing I want to ask you is, how have you seen that feminism has differed between the US diaspora and the UK diaspora? Sure. Um, This is just my assumption, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, But I feel like... One thing I've noticed in the U.S. versus the U.K. is I it goes back to that like kind of that generalization here about like all South Asian women or all South Asian people kind of fall under one bucket and like have the same experiences, which is like the older I get, like the more I realize how untrue that is. Like we come from so many different backgrounds, so many languages, cultures, like experiences, like all of that. And I feel like that's not highlighted as much here um, versus the UK, but I could be wrong. And the other thing that I don't, I actually have no idea how it is in the UK with this, but like one thing that I noticed between like living in Canada versus moving to the United States is like in the US, there is such a like, so many parents teach their kids, especially their girls from a young age to be competitive so it's like you have to be the one to who knows how to dance and sing and you have to get the best SAT score and you have to get get into the best school all of it and like there's this like hidden like thing of you have to do all of these things so you'll eventually find the best guy and I think that mindset stems into like all of these women we have our age who end up having this like internalized misogyny in their head like I have to be better than everyone I have to compete with all of these women to get a guy's attention or to you know get some kind of an accolade like and so on and like I'd love to hear if that's similar in the UK because that's something I've definitely seen here in like the South Asian community. I think it's interesting because I've seen that as well in the US like based on kind of like experiences that I've had with people online is that one of the biggest comparisons is like I think you know South Asian women here are pit together regardless. Like, I think it's just a cultural thing where it's kind of like, there's the comparisons, there's this, there's that. But the whole idea of kind of girl boss feminism has been more prevalent in South Asia. Like I've seen South Asians in the US. And I think what you're discussing as well, it seems very in line with kind of almost like corporate America, but I might be wrong. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's very like, I've seen a lot more girl boss feminist groups 
kind of stem from the US and kind of there's this idea that it's kind of like South Asian identity identity conflated with American identity which you know naturally is going to happen because that's where you guys have grown up whereas I think the South Asian experience here it's interesting because I wouldn't even say necessarily that it's a collective experience for all of us within the South Asian community here and I think that the way in which our experiences differ also really change based on the religion you're from especially like visibly as well like South Asian Muslims which are a massive group here and the women that are quite visibly out here in this community as well is like for example i would say that hijabi women in this country definitely face a lot more discrimination um and a lot more yeah. cultural and a lot of cultural restraints compared to south asian women that don't wear hijab or mm -hmm. aren't muslim and that's obviously not invalidating their experiences they definitely deal with a lot of different things but it's just like that manifests differently for us especially based on like more more micro aspects of our personality like religion but i wouldn't say that we have the same sort of kind of you know like learn this instrument do this do that do this like obviously it's it's as far as it is for anyone i'd say in the community mm -hmm. i don't think there's as much unity here because going off your point of like how many instagram pages do we see where they're like us based and they're so much more I like, yeah. I'm not, don't get me wrong, we do have our empowerment here, but I see it a lot more in on US platforms than mm -hmm. I have seen here. Um, and then also going off the point of here, obviously it's a bit more distinctive, like your, where your ethnicity is from and your background's from. Mm -hmm. You know, I know in America it can be like, oh, you're just South Asian. But here, like, it, it can be very distinctive, like your Sikh, your Hindu, your Muslim, your Bangladesh, like whatever, whether that's religion or ethnicity, it, it can be very distinctive. But then the groups are almost very secluded. Yeah. Um, I don't find them being as supportive as a whole. It mm -hmm. might be, okay, within that certain community or that group, but as a whole, I don't see it as much. It's more like yeah it's almost quite like competitive between girls mm. and it's in a not, different way it's not as yeah you know you end up like hating or nitpicking on other people and you know I'm not gonna I do it sometimes too and it's just like I'm a product yeah. of, I, I'm a product of my environment I can't help it but when you look at the bigger picture you're just like oh crap it's definitely not as supportive as it can be in the US or like you know any platforms we've had interaction with even in Australia things like that like it is very different here I think that's probably attributable to the fact that I mean like in general I think I'm correct me if I'm wrong but I think um in terms of relative to population size there's a similar amount of South Asians in both places but the idea is that obviously because America's bigger they're more dispersed everywhere um yeah, yeah interesting because like our communities are very huddled into one but over time as like racism has changed and kind of like included islamophobia into the conversation like our identity as a community has changed and I'd agree like I think there is a lot of really nice uniformity that you can see and there are benefits of like adopting a collective which i've seen in the us and i feel like a lot of the more like aspects of our culture that are being called out are definitely being called out more so from american platforms but obviously there's the danger there that you know we have different experiences um yeah, but i think I it's, it's definitely have different yeah. experiences yeah but it's been really nice like connecting with women from the us particularly because it's nice that engaging conversations about how I think if anything, like there are elements of it where I feel like a lot of US women talk about it and it kind of empowers me to discuss it as well, albeit mm. in the context of my community here. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. No, I can't yeah. agree with that. I think one thing too that like is interesting to me is again, like it goes back to like the size of the countries is like, I feel like in the UK, from what I've heard, like a lot of people end up going to university, like kind of close by, like 
they, a lot of them like still like stay with family and commute and all that. Whereas mm-hmm. here you see a lot more people who like end up going out of state. So for me, I like went to high school here in Texas and then I ended up going to university in Arizona and like being away from like the community I was in before being away from like the same family friends, the same aunties and all that. And like, meeting South Asian people, but in a different setting really made a difference to me, like where you got out of that shell of like, oh, we have to compete with each other and instead be like, oh, well, you know, we're the few South Asians here, like we should be together and like, we should support each other and all that. So like, I think that too, like that distance and like those new experiences can make a big difference. Yeah, of course, I think moving away from that environment that you kind of were brought up in can almost be very refreshing. Um, I think we all had very different uni experiences. Mine, I was in a very, very South Asian university and I think that was very refreshing but equally it was a lot it was like almost like I wanted to be away from it like Mm -hmm. it's very weird but I'm just I'm just glad that you know now we're seeing a lot more empowerment on a lot of platforms and um and you know that can be through Women's Republic you know seeing all your tweets are very relatable I see them and I'm like oh my god (laughs) I was just thinking this or people like you know crown the crown brown girl gang like seeing all those haters mm. I think it, it is very nice because a lot of us probably see it and feel it or go through it and it's just nice to see it being put out there and yeah. kind of us almost coming together as a whole you know yeah. I think it's interesting and that we it would be nice to see more UK platforms there are definitely loads of platforms um that still exist right now but it would just I think that there needs to be more UK voices as well. Cause I just feel like even on TikTok, it's quite limited. Um, but I think it's amazing to see kind of US platforms really championing this stuff forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, I think it just, it would be really nice for us to kind of like, as a community, we've got a lot of things out there to now maybe delve into them deeper, but in the context of different people. So I think we've covered so much in this episode and it's been really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of things that we'll definitely touch on again because it was quite a broad conversation, but definitely one um, for season one. So a lot more things to come. Over to you, Sarah. <laughs> we have a few very exciting episodes coming up before we finish the season with some amazing, amazing people lined up. Our next episode is you know, discussing and delving into period shame and inaccessibility to sexual health within the South Asian community. But for the meantime, Sai, thank you so, so much for joining us for this episode. This has been a long time coming. Um, Do you want to say some of your social media handles so people should definitely go and follow you? Sure. Um, Thank you so much. This was amazing. Um, Really just excited to have this conversation with you and for anyone that wants to connect. Um, Sai Silu 97 or Women's Republic are both my handles on Instagram and Twitter. Feel free to reach out to me. And yeah, I love having these conversations. So definitely, you know, happy to talk more anytime. Sounds good. Thank you guys for tuning in. Bye. See ya.